Hello, and welcome to episode 29 of Tech Swamp. We have our hosts and friendly membership team here today. Hey, Brad. Why, hello there. Hello, Caitlin. What's up? Just membership chillin'. Just membership chillin'. That was hard to say. And of course, (laughs) um, myself, this is Alex. Um, So before we jump into today's episode, we have some exciting news to share. Tech Swamp is getting bigger and going global. Starting next month, listeners can enjoy two episodes of Tech Swamp a month. Your standard end-of-the-month Tech Swamp with the hosts you know and love will complement our new mid-month EU-centric episode. Um, join me, Anna Bosch, our EU policy associate, and Morgan Taylor, our EU membership manager, for the latest in global tech headlines, updates on happenings within the European Parliament and European Commission, and so much more. Make sure you're subscribed to TechSwamp on the podcast streaming platform of your choice to ensure you have the first EU episodes as soon as they're released. Exciting news. This is very exciting news. I'm happy I'm happy to be spreading the TechSwamp love across the globe. Yeah. Very Absolutely. exciting. Exciting, cool. Woohoo! So now <laughs> to the content. Today we're sitting down with FCC expert and friend of the pod, Alex McLeod, to talk through some recent actions taken by the FCC. We're talking everything from their COVID-19 response to Commissioner Carr's 5G upgrade order and everything in between. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC headlines. May 15th, 2001, 19 years ago to this month, Apple announced their plan to open brick and mortar retail stores. Uh, The plan, hatched under Steve Jobs, included the rollout of 25 stores across the U.S. by the end of the year. Jobs' plan was mocked by many and was doomed to be a failure. Fast forward to 2020, and Apple operates 510 retail stores across the world, and the launch of these stores are widely considered a catalyst for Apple's tremendous growth. Fun fact, the first stores were located right here in the nation's capital, one in Northern Virginia at Tyson's Corner, and the second in D.C. proper. And that's all for Tech History. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in D.C. Caitlin and Brad, what are some of the top tech headlines? So it may be quarantine, but the House and Senate have been plugging away for the past month on policy issues and the next round of COVID-19 relief packages. While the Senate returned earlier this month, mainly focusing on nominations and to hold a handful of COVID-19 hearings, the House has continued to operate on kind of a limited schedule and held their first vote that was not related to COVID earlier this week. The House also recently passed and sent another $3 trillion COVID relief package to the Senate, where it's currently collecting dust. So business as usual, basically. And it wouldn't be business as usual if there wasn't some drama. Earlier this week, 20 House Republicans filed to sue the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, over proposed proxy voting systems that would allow lawmakers to safely vote on issues without actually being present in the House chamber. For more information on the latest Hill happenings, including the likelihood of another relief package, check out our show notes. In more Hill happenings, attention is swirling around an amendment attached to a bill reauthorizing three expired surveillance programs under the USA Freedom Act. In the Senate, the amendment would have largely blocked law enforcement from gathering web browsing history without a FISA warrant. Well, in the House, the amendment indicates that warrants would be required before gathering internet activity from a U.S. person 
and that no U.S. person's IP addresses or identifiers would be disclosed before ordering a service provider to provide a list of everyone who has visited a particular website. While the amendments were receiving support from privacy-minded lawmakers, Senator Ron Wyden has indicated that the amendments do not offer as much protection as once believed. We'll be sure to keep you posted on these privacy policy issues in future episodes of TechSwamp. And President Trump has recently taken further issue with social media platforms and is calling for heavy government regulation and a potential shutdown of platforms as we know them. In a series of tweets, the president accused Twitter of limiting free speech after one of his own tweets received a fact check flag from the platform. The fact check feature is a recent rollout by Twitter to try and help combat the spread of misinformation and false statements on their website. Rounding out what's brewing with the presidential election update, now that we're down to two major candidates from the two major parties, it's time to look at the polls. Currently, former Vice President Biden is leading President Trump by 11 points nationally, and there's still no official word on what we could expect regarding the Democratic and Republican conventions that are slated to take place this summer. But we'll sure to keep you posted in future episodes of TechSwamp. And that's all for What's Brewing. The FCC has been very busy during the COVID-19 pandemic and has been working hard to help Americans gain access to reliable broadband. So today we're going to sit down with FCC expert Alex McLeod to talk through some recent actions taken by the FCC and um, what a stronger connection means for our members and for the app economy. So first of all, Alex, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. so there's a lot to cover. So I just, um, we're, let's jump right in. Yeah. Um, so, no, there's definitely been a lot of things going on. <laughs> a lot going on. So I think first, maybe um, talking a little bit about uh, the FCC's direct response to COVID-19, um, some of the programs that they've sort of put into motion and what they look like. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think just to start it kind of off is uh, the most obvious choice is the, in the CARES Act, Congress uh, provided the FCC with $200 million for the COVID-19 telehealth program, uh, which specifically provides funding for connectivity, for monthly services. Um, it includes devices just to be able to do healthcare responses. Um, for different devices. So like remote patient monitoring, using your phone uh, for telehealth options is all included in that package. Um, so it passed Congress, I believe what, Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, like two <laughs> months ago now? I We've been in quarantine for too long. So Yeah, it was, it was in the first. It was in that first wave yeah. of um, issuance. So that's kind of how they did it. Um, and mostly this goes to just contributing to like people's immediate responses. So they've opened it up. They almost gotten through I think about six rounds now so it's been doing a really good job about making sure connectivity is going through um, the one thing that it doesn't cover is private health care providers um, ah. but there is some action at the FCC going on right now um, on behalf of private insurance or private providers uh, to see if they can be included so we'll see how that kind of turns out um, but for right now it's doing a really good job issuing for nonprofit healthcare providers um, and making sure they have the tools to kind of get in touch with the communities that really need access at this point um, to help combat COVID. And then this is something that I know ACT has been working a lot on is the FCC's Connected Care Pilot. 
Um, and so it's one of those things where it was started back, I believe, in 2018. Commissioner Carr kind of gave us a overview of a telehealth program, and there was an open period for comment from the public. And it is about $100 million for a um, connected care pilot is what they're calling it. And basically what it does is it doesn't pay for devices because it's couched under the Universal Service Fund, which does not include funding for device specific things, but it does include for different information services. So it can be like connectivity or there's some like turnkey solutions that might be able to be used. So like potentially an app might be able to go in there. The definitions and how the funding is going to be allocated is a little bit different in this case, though. Still a great program, still looking to just get the best input for, you know, different individuals in rural areas and really to help serve veterans as well. Um, What they're really trying to do is just provide more people in different areas access to the devices that will improve outcomes and really reduce costs. Um, So that's kind of how that program works. So those are the two probably, I call it COVID and then (laughs) post-COVID situations for healthcare specifically at the FCC that I think they're doing a really great job on. Um, And so then outside of sort of this direct sort of COVID-19 or health-related responses out of the FCC, um, you know, what else have we seen from the FCC FCC around supporting um, more broadband being sort of built or paid for um, kind of more generally whether it's for the public or for funds that need it. Yeah, absolutely. So the FCC has been doing quite a bit to make sure that people have access. Um, One of the things they have is the Keep America Connected Keep America Connected pledge. Sorry, it's a mouthful. <laughs> that is, yeah, so I will apologize <laughs> for that. Um, but it's a really great way of them saying, I think it's now extended until September 30th um, for Americans to still have access to broadband, even if they're a little bit late on their bills or something like that, to make sure that these large providers like AT&T and Verizon all have committed to this pledge um, to make sure that they're still providing access to people at a time during the COVID time period uh, and being able to have access to broadband and really being able to use their equipment from home. So that's like one thing that they've done. Um, They've done a couple of different uses of spectrum that's really great. Um, And they've also been very active with Congress as well. So they've been making sure that they're asking for the needed things uh, to expand broadband coverage across the country. It's kind of how they see it, I think. Um, specifically, they referring to the FCC, just to be clear, how the FCC sees these things moving forward, because I think right now all of us are realizing how important access to broadband is. And I think moving forward, our world is going to change. So these are the types of things that the FCC really wants to make sure moving forward we are looking at. So I think they've done a really great job in requesting like $2 billion for a rip and replace measure. Um, to make sure that they're doing secure equipment. Um, It's one of those things that's been a large issue. It's been talked about a lot in the news is security, and it's a really forward-looking idea, especially when it comes to our infrastructure. Yeah, so this would pay, essentially, for, like, new infrastructure to be put in that's essentially, like, U.S. manufactured. Exactly. um, So it's promoting business as well, I think, definitely in a time right now that you need – people need are going to need jobs, it's going to provide those in addition to the fact that they're trying to make it a US centric um, system. Got it. That's for sure. And then the next one is kind of they've requested $65 million from Congress to do broadband mapping. 
And if you've tracked broadband mapping at all, <laughs> it is a very hot topic on multiple different levels. So it's just one of those things where this is the number that they've come up with um, that they think is going to be the right number. Um, and when we're really thinking about broadband mapping, you're kind of thinking about like, how are we going to make sure that everybody has access? How are we measuring that? Are we getting enough access to different people in different areas? So there's like a lot of different factors that go in. Oh, so, so it's like understanding where there is actually broadband and infrastructure and where there isn't so that we yeah. can like figure out, okay, cool. So it's it's like residential fixed broadband services is what they're tracking on these maps. Mm. So it's interesting in like more rural states because a lot of senators have been really active there. And then in more urban areas where they're like, oh, well, there's areas of the city that have coverage, but then there's areas that don't. So it really impacts a bunch of different states in a variety of ways so there's definitely been a lot of conversation around it which is great because it's something that needs to happen and you know everyone is doing their best to put these maps together but there's no perfect solution for these types of things so it's currently in the democratic bill house bill for 24 million and so i think the fcc is hoping for a little more than that but we'll see We'll see how things turn out. You just never know. And then the last thing that they, the FCC is also doing to engage Congress again with the COVID-19 pandemic and kind of just figuring out what we're going to do is asking for more money for the COVID-19 pilot. Um, This telehealth program is really important, and they're asking for $200 million more to be able to provide support to devices and being able to get people access to healthcare. Because I think right now, a lot of people don't have access to a hospital, but at the same time, they also don't have access to things. You know, they can get access in their homes if these devices are being covered. Um, And I think there's also some conversations going about the scope of this program, whether, you know, devices should be included in the connected care pilot I mentioned earlier that the FCC is going to do over Mm -hmm. the next, they said it's going to be about a three year pilot. So that's coming a little bit later. But should they expand that? Should they take you know, the current pandemic that's happening and really adjust the program to incorporate things like that um, under the universal service title. So it's definitely going to be an interesting battle kind of there. And the last thing is, is, you know, with all the kids home from school, even though it is summer, I guess it's going into summer now. I always laugh because I always think, I think school ends in May. In my mind, it ends in May. I think because of COVID, they're actually going through. uh, Yeah. Quite like July. I think there's yeah. like there's like a longer period. So with that in mind, um, something that the FCC has always had is the E-rate program to get um, subsidized funding to schools in order to provide wireless access. And so there's been a lot of conversations even in our um, past webinars about, you know, TV white spaces and other things FCC related um, that it's an opportunity to really think about the E-rate program and maybe Mm -hmm. we think about some Wi-Fi hotspots being included under that definition, um, figuring out how to provide these wireless services so that we don't like widen the homework gap. We wanna make sure every student has access. We wanna make sure all students, regardless of kind of what situation they're in, are able to have the opportunity to learn and not take that away from them because it's such an important time period. It's one of those things that, you know, whether you're in first grade or you're in <laughs> high school, there's always something that you should be doing or learning um, and no, no student should be having that taken away. Absolutely. 
Um, okay, so that's like a lot of things, and yes, I know that a lot, a lot of, these of things information. Are so I just talked at you. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, but I think also like that's a lot of funding that the FCC has essentially through a letter, right? Like asked yes. Congress for directly, and I think the question on everyone's minds is like, what are the odds of this really? like of Congress really giving the FCC what they're asking for? You know, are they going to prioritize some things over the other? I mean, do you have any thoughts on sort of the likelihood of some of this funding going through? Yeah, no. So I think with Congress, especially right now, it's always a little bit interesting to see like what goes through, what doesn't, <laughs> um, especially in an upcoming like election season. So I think that's hard to kind of interpret. I'd like to say, and this is in my optimistic self speaking, um, <laughs> that something for broadband mapping is definitely going to come out, some type okay. of funding to at least help enhance the FCC's broadband mapping or to help them kind of refine their solutions. Maybe that's something that Congress kind of mandates in one of their orders in terms of that kind of funding. So I'd like to think yes. Um, I know that the FCC hasn't gone through completely all of their uh, funding for the telehealth program quite yet. Okay. So I think that might be a little bit more of an iffy question as to like if they're going to provide them with more money if they haven't spent the money they already have. Um, but, you know, obviously it's going to depend on kind of like how long we are in our current stay at home orders, you know, with the different phasing coming through, how that's going to work out, I think. And then I think with education, um, this is probably more of a personal thing. I think education is so important. And I think especially um, given the circumstances we're in, I think we've realized that we need to really take a look at the E-rate program and think about those types of things. But also maybe there's an opportunity for a different funding program through the FCC and potentially looking outside the E-rate program as well to kind yeah. of create a new fund for you know Wi-Fi hotspots and making sure every kid has access. Because it's not only in pandemic times that kids need access to internet. Um, it's also in the times where, you know, maybe they only have one computer in the house. Maybe it's something that, you know, you should have a tablet with Wi-Fi access, you know, so you and your brother can both do homework and not have to fight over the computer at the same right. time. So yeah, that like actually, that. that lends itself well to my next question, which is sort of, you know, I think um, uh, obviously during this time we've been home. Everyone is home. Everyone is working from home. Everyone is doing school from home. Obviously, that's a challenge if you don't have broadband at home. Um, you know, a lot of these things seem a little bit specific to programs or incidences. I mean, are all of these measures really going to have an effect on bridging the, di the the digital divide? Are there other things that are also happening sort of simultaneously at the FCC that could also help bridge that divide? No, absolutely. That's a great question. Um, so I think all of these things contribute to bridging the digital divide. And I think it's just become more evident that we need to do more work towards this specific issue of bridging this gap. Um, whether you're in a rural area or, you know, more of an urban area, you should be able to get access to what you need, the tools that you need to work from home, the tools that you need to do school from home, you know, or just to like entertain yourself from home. Those are all, you know, really important things. And I think we all rely on those different resources. Um, you know, I think you have to be able to work and those types of things are important as well. Um, but I also think, you know, taking a minute for yourself and catching up on your Netflix shows, that's not a bad <laughs> thing either. So totally. I think it's a really important thing that we look at these issues. Um, but I think the FCC has done a really good job about kind of outlining what they need from Congress, showing the programs that need to be updated. Um, so I think that there's a really great opportunity for Congress and the FCC to work together to kind of resolve those gaps um, in what they need. 
I think in addition to that, the FCC has done a really good job about clearing out spectrum areas and making sure that we're going to utilize the spectrum to the best of its ability. Um, all good uses moving into what what everyone speculates is like a 5G world now <laughs> and in the future. What that means exactly is always kind of a funny interpretation for everybody. But mm -hmm. I think whatever that looks like, it's definitely something that needs to do be something looking forward. Um, and spectrum is a really large part of that. And I think the last thing is, is they've also got a really great order going through for television white spaces or TV white spaces, TV as most people spaces. like, yeah, in the FCC <laughs> acronym world, which is just so large, there's too many, yeah. um, but that's a Text good one. listeners, they'll be familiar with the term. <laughs> yeah, so it's one of those things that I know ACTS members have been really involved with and really proactive on, because it's just going to give so much more opportunity to motivate all these different devices so that we have access from home for schools and different things, and also it bridges that gap more so and more so, so it's using those those spaces in between the TV bands in order to highlight and be able to get that access just to the last mile connectivity. So it's really an opportunity for you know the FCC to do something great. And I know a lot of different companies are thinking about it and trying to figure out how to utilize every little piece of spectrum that they possibly can, licensed Absolutely. or unlicensed. So I think that's also a really great thing that they're doing. Definitely. Um, so you mentioned 5G. I would not be doing my job if I didn't <laughs> plug um, an upcoming webinar um, that yeah. we have. Um, and we actually um, have had a few over the course of COVID that we will, of course, be linking to um, in our show notes that you can watch that are all about sort of these questions around broadband connectivity um, and, and programs uh, to support uh broadband infrastructure and build and all of those things. Um, yes. But I want to talk briefly about the one that we do have coming up this week. Um, so Commissioner Carr, um, he has an upgrade order about 5G in the works. Um, can you give us like a high level breakdown of like what this order kind of is? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think Commissioner Carr has just been, since he's taken his spot um, as a commissioner, really active in the infrastructure, you know, 5G infrastructure, thinking towards the future um, goals. So this is the new order that he has coming out. Um, previously in 2018, he did a lot of work with small cell sites and facilities, um, making sure to clear some regulatory barriers there um, to make sure that companies can kind of deploy the needed infrastructure to support all this access that we're asking for, right? Mm -hmm. To make sure that you can have, you can support, you know, different new innovative technologies. You got to be able to have the infrastructure to do so. Um, so, just overview of this, like very high level. <laughs> I have to be honest because it gets into the nitty gritty really quickly um, right. in this order. If you take a look at it, I'm sure you guys will be linking it. But it's just one of those things where you just get kind of bogged down in FCC jargon. Totally. Um, so I will make it extremely high level because I feel like that's how I like to think about it and it makes it more relatable for everyone listening. Um, I think the one thing it does really well is it uh, clarifies the what they call like the shot clock um, or the time for a state or local government to be able to approve adjustments to like tower heights or antennas or like spacing issues for those things okay. um, is really what it's focusing on. So it's just saying like, okay, how long does the government have to take a look at an application? What are we thinking in terms of what's a large change that a city might be not so okay with versus a smaller change or modification as they call it in the order um, that might be doable to help kind of support new 5G infrastructure and kind of looking to that next step. 
Okay. Um, so that's really what it's focusing and honing in on. It also talks a little bit about kind of thinking, if you're thinking about like what's a substantial change, how does that look? So some of those like legal definitions, I won't go into detail there because that's just <laughs> way too far um, down the rabbit hole. But it also thinks about things like they're talking about like a concealment element. So like it's when you're making these updates or modifications to some of these towers or infrastructure um what does it look like in a city you know a lot of yeah, people like the fake really trees. exactly the fake trees or like <laughs> you know when you hike up uh, hollywood hills and you see a tower you're like okay yeah, well, is it the telecom. traditional thing <laughs> so you're just like you kind of like look all over the place and you just don't really realize or on tops of buildings so that's where a lot of the small cell sites are so it's just kind of figuring out the little fine-tuned details and it breaks down really into two parts. So there's like the declaratory ruling, which is coming out with like about six different rules that they really wanna kind of hone in on to make infrastructure be able to get deployed quicker. And I think especially in light of COVID, it's one of those things where we need that infrastructure now to bridge what we were talking about earlier in that digital divide space. So I think that's really important and it's something that needs to be moved through quickly. Um, but they're also looking to get comment on from, you know, everyone in the FCC sphere and like telecom providers, you know, local governments, things like that, um, input on a couple different definitions that are coming up about what does, you know, what does the site look like? Kind of where are we building these things? It's just kind of clarifying a lot of different definitions that may have been ambiguous between the federal government and then state and local governments in terms okay. of expediting how infrastructure goes through to support all these new technologies that we're hearing about in the IoT world and also just to kind of give us that like broader connection as we move out you know you want to be able to have access and infrastructures to support all those things as well so it kind of does a little bit of both got it um yeah. and during our webinar um which will be uh, this Thursday at 1 p.m., but we will also include um, a link to the video of the webinar in our show notes. Um, I think probably um, our Tech Swamp podcast will come out uh, just after uh, we complete the webinar, but don't worry, you'll be able to watch it. Um, yeah. But I believe the commissioner is going to be talking a little bit more about um, this order and sort of why he, um, you know, why it's something that is important to him um, and then we'll also have a few members on a panel with the commissioner to talk a little bit about sort of how 5g uh you know plays a role in their business decisions day to day whether that's in sort of their uh innovating uh or sort of future looking innovations but also like in daily business decisions like hiring um and where to build an office and things like that no, absolutely. And Commissioner Carr is absolutely wonderful on these issues. He breaks it down and makes it seem very simple um, after having worked for him for a little while as an intern. So back in his uh, Chairman Pi, or I guess it was Commissioner Pi at that time days. So he'll be a great resource for you know our members and anyone who's listening to really kind of figure out what this rule is about and what they're thinking about long term at the Commission for Infrastructure. So I absolutely. think that's great. So there's a lot of exciting things happening in the broadband world. Yes. Yes. I, there's only can look forward to more. That's definitely <laughs> the case, I think, especially in light of our current circumstances. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Well, that's awesome. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on TechSwamp. Yeah, of course. Um, from one Alex to another. Always great I to have my that. fellow Alex <laughs> friends on the pod. <laughs> always happy to help out. But yeah, it's always great to talk to you, too.
and now it's time for our random identifier. Rad, you are up first. All right, I don't have anything too exciting, but you guys <laughs> know that I've I've been reading Keith Richards' memoir, the yes. uh, the guitar player for the Rolling Stones. For those of you that don't know him by name, and uh, it, it was a phenomenal book, and I have now. Uh, completed my Rolling Stones vinyl collection, just got uh, picked up two more. So I, I am a happy camper when it comes to the Rolling Stones. It was a tremendous book. Great to kind of get on the inside of uh, one of the world's most prolific rock and roll bands and see, you know, them hear about them writing a song in like 25 minutes and it became a huge hit that everyone knows and is still played on classic rock radio like how do you do that (laughs) yeah wait so you now own their complete discography not the complete the ones that the ones that i uh particularly enjoy which are the ones produced by jimmy miller between 68 and 72 and then i'm a big fan of some girls as well which came out in 78 all right very cool yeah, I'm excited about it. <laughs> that is exciting. Do you do you feel that the Rolling Stones sound better on vinyl than they do on any other medium? I mean, it might not be true, but to my ears, it it does sound better, <laughs> and I appreciate it more. I'm always a fan when it comes to vinyl records to kind of the packaging and the yeah. way that everything is put in there and the thought put into the artwork and uh, the, the notes, liner notes, those sorts of things are all really fun when you buy a new record. So that's been really fun. Yeah. Up next is, uh, reading the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Anthony Kiedis book. Oh yeah. Keep an eye out. It's intense. I'm excited. It's a good one. I'm excited to hear your thoughts on that. Um, Caitlin, how about you? Um, mine is related to drama. Kind of. Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, uh, in, we use Slack at, at ACT, um, and in one of our channels, Random, uh, Ashley, Dirk, and Rexy dropped a little tidbit about, um, like, the NASA SpaceX rocket that was going to be launched today, which then triggered me to immediately, like, for the 40,000th time, go to Elon Musk's Wikipedia page and just, like, read more information about him. <laughs> um, and while I've really... You know, I've done some deep dives into Elon and <laughs> himself. I have not been looking into his siblings. Um, oh. Yes. So he has, he has two. He has a brother and a sister. I'm really interested in this sister particularly. Alex, I think you will find a, a real <laughs> deep appreciation for Tosca Musk. Okay. Um, so, Tosca like the opera? I, I guess. T-O-S-C-A. <laughs> <laughs> T-O-S-C-A, yeah. Isn't that La Tosca? I don't know I don't if that's know. a... I can't remember if it's spelled with a C or an S. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I believe you. Whatever it is, I believe you. So basically, this woman um, is a filmmaker, executive producer, and producer of different films and TV shows. Oh, good for her. Um, but in her Wikipedia page, her like claim to fame, I guess one of her most successful television movies... Um, is Holiday Engagement, Ooh. which is a Hallmark television movie. It sounds like a Hallmark television movie. <laughs> yes, I know your connection with these uh, programs. Yeah, I love them. So I totally was not expecting Elon Musk's sister to have her hand yeah. in, in that. To um, be in arguably the greatest movie genre to ever exist. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right up there with A Christmas Prince. Right? Is that yeah. What it's called? Yeah. 
Um, but to kind of take us full circle, even back to our um, our tech history, um, this Elon Musk sister Tosca um, partnered uh, with some other people to produce a television or like a web series called Tiki Bar TV, hmm. um, which was in. 2005 part of the apple keynote presentation which introduced the ipod with video so steve jobs showcased tiki bar tv to the audience as an example of like a video podcast um yeah so we're we're really full circle here with our our apple exciting release the connections (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing fact Um, well, I guess sort of related to great movie genres. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, we know, well, so Caitlin has made it clear that she does not love superhero movies. Um, and Brad, are you, you're like on the fence, right? Like you don't hate them, but you don't like watch them. I think I'm with Caitlin. Okay, you hate he them. He might even be more violent with his disdain than I. Yeah. Okay, well, I love them. And <laughs> so, whatever. And I, uh, I I, have been looking for things to sort of, listen, quarantine has been interesting. And I have sort of sought the kind of entertainment that will, like, distract me. Um, and it's sort of so different from, like, the reality of right now that, like, it, it just, you sort of get taken out of it. And so I happen to see... Uh, Arrow, which is one of the CW's like DC superhero TV shows. I think it's like the first one that like created their whole, they have like a whole series of them now. Uh, And I started watching it a few weeks ago and I'm completely addicted to it. Like in a way that uh, normally I'd be embarrassed by, but like am not because I've decided that guilty pleasures are no longer something I feel guilty about. Um, And it's, it has fulfilled a lot in terms of just like entertaining me being like sort of ridiculous but like actually having some fun storylines and like the acting is really not bad which you know can't say that necessarily about my favorite movie genre but i can (laughs) say that about the show um i would say the acting is perhaps more elevated um i will say though that like i definitely have an appreciation for any kind of content that is helping people in quarantine yeah um, the only thing that, like, I really can't support is, um, like, doing dates via FaceTime, like, first dates via FaceTime. Yeah. I I don't stand with those people, and yeah. I wish them the best of luck, but I don't approve. Everything else, within yeah. reason, content-wise, I am, like, 100% on board. No, I appreciate that, and I agree with you f- for the same reasons that I don't like at-home <laughs> concerts, <laughs> which we talked about <laughs> last month. Um, that just, like, a, like a date over Zoom is, like, that feels the same to me. Um, but Arrow is really fun. And then, like, I also started watching The Flash. I think I'm probably going to stop there. I think going beyond in the, like, they call it the Arrowverse because it started with that character. And there's even, like, crossover episodes that I have watched that were delightful. But, like, um, anyway, The Arrow and The Flash, they were really great shows. And I don't feel bad for watching them. And I enjoyed every moment of watching. I'm not done with The Flash. I just started The Flash. And I'm almost done with Arrow. But I'm taking a long time to watch the last season because it makes me sad that it's over. Yeah, okay. I get that way with books. When I'm like, me I too. have like less than a hundred pages, I'm like, no, don't. Yeah, I don't want it to be over. Luckily, there are a billion superhero TV shows and movies, so it's you can true. continue to expand into those and more crossover as- episodes. It, it's it sounded great. a little shady, Brad. That was oh, <laughs> it, it, it was spoken with a lot of attitude there. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I don't feel bad. I, uh, I, I've enjoyed my viewing experiences thus far. I'm sure I'll enjoy The Flash. Like I said, I do think I'm going to be done with the Arrowverse when, the, when I finish The Flash. But outside of that... We'll see. You should watch The Arrow. It's really good. No regrets. No regrets. <laughs> I stand by it. I'm happy for you, and I support you. Thank you. I promise I will never go on a Zoom date. <laughs> okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. And of course, we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who has composed the podcast awesome music. Thank you, Brad. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And of course, we would love a rate and review. <laughs> Five stars only, please. And that is all for today, folks. Everyone say bye. Bye. bye.